Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hawaii Kai Church, and thank you for joining us in worship. And at this time, I invite you to take out your Bible or a Bible underneath the chair in front of you and turn to the book of Luke. We are in Luke chapter 6 and verse 20 as we continue our study through the book of Luke. Luke chapter 6 and verse 20. Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 26 is our passage today, and that passage can be found on page 862 if you are using a church Bible. Page 862. Luke chapter 6 and verse 20, and while Luke has been very clear that Jesus is perhaps primary ministry thus far, has been preaching and teaching, this is really the first time we begin to have some real content. And I'll read the text to you. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, And when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Before we examine the text together, would you please uh, join me in prayer? Uh, Father, we come before you and your word, and, and we ask that by the Holy Spirit you'd give us uh, eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive what is within this passage. Help us to really believe it, because this particular text can often be so difficult to believe. Help us to trust you, God, and and trust your Son that that you give your word to us so that you might have joy, we might have joy, and that your joy would be full in us. Would you make us to abide in Christ? Would you give us yourself, God, and show us how much it is that you love us? All for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he is already preparing for his own death. And Jesus has been thinking and praying about the future of his people after he does leave. And so he appoints 12 of his own followers, 12 disciples, who are going to represent him as apostles and as his own messengers who would proclaim him after his death and resurrection and ascension. Jesus is preparing these ones to be the foundation of the future church, himself being the cornerstone. But while Jesus understands that the road ahead is one that is going to be filled with suffering and mocking, abandonment, betrayal, an unjust arrest, a sham of a trial, a violent scourging, and ultimately dying slowly on a criminal's cross. While Jesus already understands that the road to Calvary is going to be a a very brutal one, his followers in front of him, and especially these 12, they do not. So far, following Jesus for them has been all highs and no lows. We hear preaching and teaching, a kind that we've never, ever heard in our lives. 
We witness unclean spirits crying out and they fall down before Jesus. We've seen with our very own eyes a man who had to be carried in on a stretcher, lowered through a roof of a house, that at the command of Jesus, the same man picks up his mat and walks out the front door. We have witnessed the most leprous, diseased individual, unrecognizable skin falling off of his body, living on the outskirts of society within a moment at Jesus' word, completely made new and completely made clean. And we are consistently at the center of the presence of such great crowds. And they're all pushing forward towards us with intensity, trying to climb their way closer to Jesus. Leaving all to follow him has pretty much been all highs and no lows. And while there has been some conflict, no doubt, here and there, it seems to us that Jesus always has the last word in each and every bout. He is bulletproof. But this kind of ministry and this kind of response from the crowds is not going to be a constant. And while looking at his followers and, and the throngs of people stalking his every move who are intoxicated by his preaching and amazed with his miracles, he knows that there is going to be a time when following him is not going to be as exciting. And it's not going to be as beneficial in these senses or as comfortable. Jesus knows there will be a time when following him is going to come at a very great cost. And so Jesus sits everyone down, so to speak, and looks them into their eyes because I need to teach you about the kingdom of God and who it is that will enter into it. I want to show you the marks of a true follower of me and what you all need to expect in ministry and what you need to be prepared for as a Christian living in an unbelieving world. And Jesus here wants to teach his followers, his disciples, and all who will believe about the path of the believing life and about the path of the unbelieving one and which one it is that is really blessed and which one it is that is not because on first glance, the believing life, the blessed life, doesn't always look all that blessed. And on first glance, the unbelieving life, it doesn't look all that woeful. Jesus, as a, a Michael Wilcox puts it, Jesus is teaching his disciples to prize what the world calls pitiable and suspect what the world thinks desirable. Prize what the world thinks pitiable and suspect what the world thinks desirable. And I think this is a different sermon, though overlapping with Matthew's version, but Luke's nuances here are quite different. And so we read again in verse 20, and he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven for so their fathers did to the prophets. One of the marks of true discipleship and of genuinely following Jesus Christ is to prize what the world calls pitiable. It is to value what the world does not value because the world sees no value in the Son of God. 
Now, at first glance, the words poor, hungry, weeping, hated, excluded, reviled, having our own names spurned as evil. This initially does indeed look like a very pitiable list. These words are not usually associated with how most people use the word blessed. The word blessed means fortunate, happy, privileged. It means to experience the favor of God. And so when someone is poor, hungry, crying, and hated, happiness is not usually the first thought that comes to mind. But Jesus is not teaching that these conditions are blessed in and of themselves. These conditions are a product of something else. What Jesus is doing is lifting his own eyes upon his own disciples and his followers, and these descriptions he is making are such because they have left everything to follow him. We see that in the phrase that hangs off of verse 22, on the account of the Son of Man, because of Jesus. That is the distinction. And so the poor here, they're not just any poor. And the hungry here is not all who desire food to eat. But the poor, the hungry, the hated, the excluded are all of these things because they chose to follow Jesus at a great cost to themselves. There is no intrinsic benefit to being poor. But there is great blessing when one has become poor for Christ's sake. There is a massive privilege attached to being hungry on the account of Jesus. There is great favor and even joy and true happiness when one is being persecuted because their love for Christ is so evident. This is the real blessing. Some are poor because of life choices or expensive hobbies or, or a bad management of finances. Some are poor because of a crippling illness or a very hard situation through no fault of their own. Some are hungry because they refuse to work hard. None of these things is what Jesus is talking about here. But some do get passed over for raises because of their faith. Some do get even excluded from inheritances in their families. Some will not get hired and some will get fired because of their undeniable trust in Jesus Christ. Some, like Matthew, left lucrative business and a successful career because Jesus to him is worth so much more and my job is utterly consistent with what I believe. Others left fishing boats and their family trade, and Jesus is assuring them here, while you may be poor, yours is the kingdom of God. While you may feel hunger and can't eat like you used to eat, you will be satisfied very soon that rather than all of this being a woeful incidence, a wish I never met Jesus kind of regret or contemplation, Jesus is letting his followers know that this kind of poor and hungry and weeping and persecuted man and woman is the one who is truly blessed and really privileged. Let me read to you a parable about the kingdom of God found in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, to illustrate this concept. Jesus says there, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The man who sells all that he has 
The man who gives up all that was his to buy this great treasure and attain this pearl is not lamenting everything he's lost, but is filled with joy because of what he now has, which is of surpassing value to that which is lost. And the disciples hearing the sermon from Jesus, they don't quite get it yet, but they're going to reflect on these very words at a later date. And it would be in the near future that these apostles themselves are going to get arrested and imprisoned and people in power and authority will want them to die. They are going to feel the heat of that vehement rage as they look into the eyes of those who want to kill them. This is all in Acts chapter 5. And the apostles get arrested thrown into a public prison. They get questioned and accused. But when they get out of custody, after they get beat up, Acts 5.41 states, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Now, why are these apostles so happy and filled with joy? Are they just into that kind of stuff? Masochism? This is not about the pleasure a masochist gets from enduring pain. The apostles are rejoicing because all of this is so confirming that we have come to a point where we'd rather be poor and hungry, beaten and jailed, and have Christ and proclaim him and endure the privilege of suffering for him than to have all the world and be without him. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he says, suffering then is the badge of true discipleship. The parable of the treasure hidden in the field and the pearl of great price is becoming more and more a reality in our lives. And even more so, they will know from Jesus' own teaching here that this has been the pattern of true believers throughout the centuries, that we are standing within a long line of people who have experienced the same kind of treatment. You can read the book of Hebrews chapter 11 in your free time to see a library of those who have endured suffering for their great hope. You can read through the Old Testament prophets and see what happened to them. But there is a joy here that is a confirmation of our love for and our understanding of the person and work of Jesus Christ as our true treasure. And that that is the only thing that matters in this life and in the next one, which makes our poverty and hunger, our tears and our persecution, a small price for what we gain in return. The apostle Paul, who had often been jailed, beaten, he was once pelted with stones until everyone thought he died. That's how brutally destroyed his limp body looked. It looked like death. Elsewhere, Paul says this about his own life, 1 Corinthians 4:11. to the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. The apostle Paul was homeless. That was the ongoing condition of this great man. 2 Corinthians 11 catalogs even more sufferings he had endured, and yet the same guy writes in the same letter of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 through 19, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day for this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things which are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now let's be real. 
beaten, being jailed, and tortured. When is that ever considered slight and momentary? Only when it is compared relative to the glory that is to come. If that is that bad, then how great must the glory be that will make that pain feel slight and momentary? It is then that you begin to feel the eternal weight of our hope that is beyond all comparison. Brothers and sisters, if you are suffering in the slightest on behalf of Jesus and are poorer because of Christ and find yourself weeping and excluded and people not liking you all that much because you like Jesus all that much, this text is meant to encourage you and to assure you that it is all worth it and that you are truly blessed and therefore you can rejoice even in your hardships and not lose heart. The most blessed people ever, the ones who are most joyful and privileged and those who have God's favor upon them are thus because by the grace of God, they had truly ascertained the value of Jesus Christ, this treasure hidden in the field. And they are willing to lose their lives so that in losing their lives, they might truly live. This kind of joy does not make any sense unless Jesus Christ is really worth all that much. And Jesus is telling the disciples right here, before all of this is going to occur, full disclosure, guys, as you follow me, the kingdom is theirs, now will be theirs. The kingdom is yours. When you see the value of the king, the kingdom is already yours. It's presently true. The tenses are important. Not yours will be the kingdom. Yours is a kingdom. And yet that doesn't mean we don't hunger. We do. And we hunger for more than just food and for a satisfaction that is to come, which is future intense. Our greatest satisfaction is still ahead, brothers and sisters. This is not all that there will be. The future satisfaction is still ahead as much as a great treasure of Christ is ours presently. We will be satisfied, and in an entirely different way, it is guaranteed that even your best times in life as a Christian now are going to pale in comparison to when we get to see Jesus face to face. And we do weep now. Now is the time for weeping. All believers weep at the state of the world about the people we love who are presently on the path to perishing. We weep over the brokenness in this sinful world. We weep over our own sinfulness and mourn our own imperfections. We weep. This is a present reality, but that disposition is going to be reversed, and we shall laugh. Not the crazy kind of laugh, but the kind of joy that just cannot contain itself, that it must find an outburst of expression. And so it is that, that in possessing Christ, we can even rejoice when we aren't all that popular. You cannot be cool and Christian at the same time. You can't. Do not try to be both at the same time. But we can still rejoice when we aren't all that popular. And when the cool kids don't want to be around us, but rather point the finger at us, 
We can have joy even in those moments where the world tells us we can't have joy because for generations, true believers have all experienced the very same thing and we all, hand in hand, in a sense, are looking forward to a reward in heaven even though there is a great cost upon the earth because when weighed in the scales, that popularity and the world's love is nothing but dust compared to having Christ. Sell it all and give me Jesus is a cry and the call of discipleship. And it is what defines the blessed life. And every true believer, we can prize what the world calls pitiable. We can treasure the Son of God in a way that no one else does. This is the truly blessed life, even when it doesn't always look all that blessed. Even when an outsider thinks we are crazy and our lives look pitiable, if this is you, Christian, then be encouraged. Do not lose heart, and you can continue to press on. Verse 24, we look at the woeful life in contrast, but this woeful life doesn't always look all that woeful. And we read, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. The unbelieving life is all about today and not tomorrow. This is a life that looks to what is seen rather than what is unseen and must have that gratification quickly. The rich, the fool, the laughing, the ones who are currently being well-liked and enjoying popularity, this doesn't look like a woeful list at all. This list is a description of what most people would want and what most people want their kids to have. This is what they would call the happy life, hashtag blessed. But again, this list is not just about being rich and about being well-fed and who gets to laugh and be well-liked. That is woeful in and of itself. There is nothing, again, intrinsically wrong with any of these descriptions. It is because the ones who live like this are held in contrast to the blessed ones. The ones who live like this are the ones who are not going to sell all they have for a treasure hidden in a field. These are the ones who refuse to see the value of the pearl of great price. Instead, these ones want their lives in the here and now primarily, and these ones do not hold Christ that highly at all. If the blessed person can be joyful, enduring all kinds of suffering, and still have real joy, a kind of joy that only makes sense when Jesus Christ is really worth it all, well, then these people here, again by contrast, are making an entirely different call. That Jesus is not that great of a treasure like those idiots over there think he is. And therefore, we are going to invest into something else. We're going to give our lives and our efforts into something more valuable than him. And so these ones look at the treasure in the field and say, pass they look at the pearl of great price and think to themselves, only a fool would pay that amount. And so they spend their times and efforts accumulating more money for themselves. Because to be real, money does make a lot of things in this life easier. And so they believe, that's what I need most. And they never want to be hungry 
for whenever they feel a hint of it, their desire is at the snap of their fingers. I need that gratification instantly. And they smile wide and laugh heartily at their worldly position because they have invested themselves in the world so well as if this present day is what is ultimate reality. And you want friends. You want so much for people to like you. You care what they think more than what God thinks, which works out perfectly because everyone else's opinion of you is just so important to you. Some people live for what others think about them. And the ultra-wealthy and powerful, they, when they step on stage, they even get applause. They hear their name being chanted in the crowds. This is a life that most people on earth would like and study for and invest in and train towards a life of worldly hedonism, a life of seeking present-day pleasure and instant gratification. And Jesus here, he's mocking all that they have. These are the people you should feel the most sorry for not envious of. These are the ones. They receive their consolation in full. And a day is coming when they're going to hunger and not get. They're going to mourn and weep and be filled with regret. And their tradition is not standing in the long line of martyrs and faithful prophets, but their peoples, their line are the false prophets, the liars, those who have spurned the truth and proclaims that the ones God really blesses are the ones with all the stuff. If suffering is a badge of true discipleship, well, then give me a different kind of preacher. I want that health, wealth, prosperity action tickling my ears and hyping me up, never telling me no or ever calling me to repent. Matthew Henry writes that these people are so full of themselves, they are without God and without Christ. Brothers and sisters, if you are full of yourself, there is no room to be full of God. You can't be full of yourself and full of God at the same time. And at the end of this life of selfish gratification, there is eternal woe. Jesus, in this teaching, is presenting to his followers and to his disciples the difference between the blessed life and the woeful life. And while the blessed life, the believing life, doesn't always look all that blessed, in the end and even in the now, their happiness is astronomical, and while the woeful life, the unbelieving life, doesn't always look all that woeful, in the end, their gratification is only for a moment and their ruin is eternal. One is truly happy and the other truly not. And therefore, Jesus is teaching his disciples to prize what the world calls pitiable and suspect what the world thinks desirable. Lincoln Duncan says it this way, the blessings and woes are designed to exalt what the world despises and reject what the world admires. The only question for us is, do we believe Jesus? You know, a lot of us, including myself, want a little bit of both lists. I don't want to be rich. I don't want to be poor. I don't, I don't need to be that popular. I definitely don't want to be hated. A foot in this world and a foot in the kingdom of God. Can I get that? That treasure hidden in the field, can I, can I get that for 50% off? Can I just sell some of what I have for that pearl of mediocre price? Can I just sell the old stuff I don't use anymore? There's not a third option in this teaching, brothers and sisters. Now, most of us in this room are relatively rich compared to the majority of people in this world. We are relatively the most well-fed. Some of us even take pictures of our food to document exactly how well-fed we really are. 
And there are people that I know personally, like Pastor Mel, who laughs the loudest I've ever heard someone laugh. We just sent to First Baptist Church Haliva to be a pastor there. Is that, is that okay? There's nothing intrinsically good about being in poverty. And there's nothing intrinsically evil about obtaining wealth. It's all about the why. Why is the disciple sometimes in poverty? Is it because of laziness and a refusal to work? Then you aren't blessed. Is it because you're thrown in jail and left a career and now you have to make tents like the Apostle Paul did because Jesus is everything to you? Well, then you're blessed. You see the why? Why is this person wealthy? Is it because they're just gifted at making money? There are some people that every decision they choose, every decision they make seems to return tenfold. There's nothing wrong about the providence of God. But is it because of something else? I'm going to put in extra hours, and I'm going to have to avoid the church a little bit. I'm going to work more on Sundays because it pays more, sometimes double. Not because I necessarily need it to eat or to survive, but because I want it. I want that extra well, then woe to you. The why is, is everything. And for the wealthy in this room, which again is pretty much all of us realistically, when compared to people across the planet, we know what it is we value by where it is we actually put our money. When you want to make more, what is it that you daydream of spending it on? The answer to that question reveals a lot about which side of Jesus' teaching we are on. We can do the same thing up and down this list in asking the question, why? Why is this person unpopular? Is it because they're mean, inconsiderate, inappropriate? Well, then you can't claim that you're suffering because of Jesus. But if this person is unpopular because the life devoted to Jesus is just so different, that it annoys people when he is everything to you. That is altogether a different scenario. Why is this other person popular? If people like you because you're kind and loving and are filled with integrity, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, to be qualified as an elder of the church, there needs to be a good reputation amongst the community. First Timothy chapter 2. That person is not woefully wrong. But if they are popular because they love and live for the opinions of others, that that is where they find their identity more and more in the approval of those around them, to live for the approval of their friends more than the approval of God and therefore buy into all that is trendy and all that is popular and have joined the mob in pointing the finger at those who swim upstream. If they are well-liked because they assimilate so well into the world, watch out. If you're popular because your supposed Christianity is so camouflaged, or so altered that no one even knows it's there. Watch out. You want to choose a church where the preacher tells you everything you want to hear and leaves out all the hard parts like this text right here. Watch out. And if you want to stand in the long line of the light and not in the line with the faithful prophets and martyrs, watch out. You know, younger people in this room, because it seems that popularity especially matters to us when we're younger, Popularity isn't worth anything. You can find yourself enslaved by the opinions of all these people. It's not like you keep it in your wallet when you're my age that you made homecoming court. It's not the most important thing. I have a boba stamp card in my wallet now. Popularity is not the most important thing during a short period of life. And when you get older, you'll find the buzz doesn't hit the same. It is a fleeting pleasure that doesn't last. 
Just like the fleeting pleasure of wealth doesn't last. And the fleeting pleasure of an amazing and filling meal doesn't last. Jesus Christ is the only joy that lasts forever. And if you lose some friends and lose some wealth and lose some clout because you are devoted to him and you get made fun of because you go to boring old church, that's lame. Well, then rejoice, rejoice, and rejoice some more. You know, if, there, if there's anyone who could have attained wealth easily, it's Jesus. The man can multiply food and heal the most horrendous diseases. Grab five loaves and a couple of fish and feed thousands. You think that won't make money? He can heal cancer like that. Some of you have family members who have dementia or Alzheimer's. How much would you pay for the power of Jesus? Jesus could have gotten rich easily. If there's anyone who could have gained more and more popularity, it's Jesus. This is before social media. He opens his mouth and starts talking, and thousands start coming to his pulpit. If there's anyone who could be full and satisfied in the here and now, Jesus had everything at, the, at his powerful fingertips, and yet he denies it all. John 18, 36, my kingdom is not of this world. What is it that Jesus strives for instead? Hebrews 12, 2, who, this is Jesus, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What is this joy that is worth all of his pain and suffering? What is his treasure and his pearl of great price? Salvation, the union of God and humanity, reconciliation that the sinner might be one with the Savior, the love that he has for us is everything, and his joy is the glory and the kingdom of God, which is yours who believe, and it is yours fully and will be enjoyed in the very near future. This is why Jesus, this is, why Jesus is sent to this world. This is why we celebrate Advent. For his first coming, as we long for his next coming, and therefore it is that the call of discipleship is to prize him even when it may bring what is pitiable and to suspect what the unbelieving world holds as desirable. It is to exalt what the world despises and reject what the world admires. You know, I think that this text can sound like a rebuke or it can sound like a comfort. It cuts both ways. Hearing Jesus' words here can be very assuring for those who are already living like this and suffering for the sake of Christ. You find yourself in jail. i never been. Like the first century Christians, you could rehearse it over and over. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who hunger. You will be satisfied. Yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are, are you when people revile you. These words can be very comforting. And at the same time, this text can be equally very harsh to those who are not living the blessed life. And our initial reaction to these verses, what you're feeling right now in response to these verses tells you exactly where you are at. And at the same time, beckons you to where you need to be. This teaching is supposed to be a barometer of our lives and a test of our discipleship and a revelation of what it is that we are living for and what it is that we're living towards and what it is we really treasure and what it is that we do not. 
because every day we are making hundreds, if not thousands, of little decisions on which kingdom we are living for, our own on this earth or for his, and we are deciding for ourselves where we think true joy is really to be found, which is why Jesus holds out this teaching to all of his followers here and for all time so that we, brothers and sisters, might truly be blessed. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask, God, that by your grace, you would give us eyes to see uh, just the beauty of your son. Would you give us a feeling of your joy and help us obey that our joy, your joy in us might be full. Help us, God, not to shift our weight from your kingdom to this earth. Help us, God, in our, in our parenting, teach our children that the solution to their problems is not more stuff or more friends. Teach the adults that the solution to what we need is not more stuff. Help us not fall for it, God. Lord, help us more and more ascertain the value of this great treasure. Give us eyes to see the pearl of great price that in our joy that you give to us, we might lose all and have Christ and be blessed. Lord, would you make us live this way even when we're not jailed. Make us live this way even when we're not in poverty. Make us feel this way even when we're not hungry. Lord, help us live boldly for you no matter what the consequences. We ask these things for your glory, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen.